That's right. The U.S. government hopes the taxman collects a bit fewer taxes, at least from corporations, and some are still banking on that in the U.S. stock market. To explain whether these hopes are perhaps still too optimistic is Rohit Kumar. He is principal and leader of Washington National Tax Service uh, for PwC based in Washington, D.C. He also is the former, former deputy chief of staff for Mitch McConnell, and he joins us here in New York. Thank you so much for joining sure. us. For having me. Uh, we know that we are going to get some kind of announcement from President Trump uh, regarding his tax proposal later today. But I'd love to get a sense from you what's feasible that could actually get done in the near term based on the current political climate in Washington, D.C. right now. So I think what is in the world of the doable is a significant reduction in the corporate tax rate, um, whether that is to 25 or all the way down to 20. I don't think that 15 is necessarily in the world of the doable. That's the president's number. But I view that as more of a opening bid in a negotiation as opposed to a steadfast, hard requirement. Because there is, on a bipartisan basis, an agreement that the U.S. corporate rate, um, highest in the OECD, it puts U.S. headquartered companies at a competitive disadvantage. And there's increasingly a consensus that our worldwide system of taxation, also out of step with most of the developed world, puts our companies at a disadvantage. And so shifting to something you know, there are all sorts of euphemisms for it, but it's basically a territorial regime where we would only tax that which was earned inside the U.S. Uh, borders. Those are two things that I think there's increasing consensus on. Then the rest of it is gets a little bit more complicated and a little bit more partisan, whether you're cutting taxes for upper income individuals, how you're paying for all this, paying for it is always uh, complicated and challenging. You know, I, I'm just struggling because right now we can talk about basic principles, but we don't even have a real tax plan. I have not heard anybody actually talk about a physical document that's being passed around the houses uh, other than sketches on the backs basically of napkins. So No, you're right. There's not a uh, piece of legislative language that is floating around, although you do have a template from 2014 that kind of paves the way for a good deal to proposal, something that uh, Dave Camp, then chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, put together. And I think that is the inspiration for a lot of what you're going to see in a piece of legislation that we hope to see later this fall. But the, the good news is, and unlike with healthcare, because there have been these meetings with the so-called big six, there is an understanding, a mutual understanding between the House, the Senate, and the White House about what each body can actually do. And it actually is valuable to have those conversations up front so that when both chambers start drafting bills, they're not drafting radically different approaches to the problem such that bridging the divide might prove to be untenable. So, uh, Rohit, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your impression on this. We just had uh, Steve Dudesh on, president of IHT Wealth Management, who basically has priced out the possibility of tax reform, meaningful tax reform, anytime in the near future. Do you think he's wrong? Well, I mean, this becomes a little bit of a question of semantics. Meaningful tax reform, like 1986-style tax reform, yeah, that seems like a bridge too far, given where we are right now. But some sort of meaningful tax relief paired with some systemic reforms, I think that is eminently in the world of the doable, in large part because for Republicans, having failed to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, um, the other major campaign promise that people could identify with going into the midterm elections is tax reform. I mean, even if there's a big infrastructure bill, and I'm kind of skeptical around that, it's not like you pass a bill tomorrow and people's commutes get better right away. It takes years for that to have an, an impact on people's lives. But a tax cut, a tax cut that is effective 1118, even if enacted later in 18, but made retroactive to 1118, 
And that's something that people will feel in their pocketbooks as they're going to the polls in November. And that is a significant motivating force for House and Senate Republicans and even the administration. So uh, I want to shift topics a little bit to the debt ceiling just because uh, this just came out today where you had uh, President Trump basically son- sign on to the Democratic idea of pushing back the debt ceiling limit uh, date uh, about three months to mid-December. And mm-hmm. you were saying when you came in here, this is really unusual. Can you explain why he did this? Why yeah, this it's a little unusual? bit surprising because what this means is that um, Um, they're overwhelmingly likely to have to have this vote again before the midterm elections. And it's actually surprising on a bicameral, bipartisan basis, because this is not a good vote for anybody. It is a necessary vote. Raising the debt ceiling is something that we have to do, but nobody likes to do it. And so I can't imagine that moderate Democrats running for re-election in 2018 are any more excited about taking this vote a second time than are a bunch of Republicans who are all running for re-election in 2018 in in the House and at least a handful in the Senate. And so what this tees up, um, if this holds, um, what this tees up is a second debt limit vote at some point between now and the midterm elections. And the closer you get to an election, the greater the risk that people just can't summon the political courage to do the necessary. Why would he do that? It's a, you know, the the one argument for it is it takes it, it solves an immediate problem, right? And there is a long history in Washington, D.C. of you solve today's problems today and you deal with tomorrow's problems tomorrow. This takes today's problem or the problem that was going to roll up in the next couple of weeks and takes it off the table, right? You reset it in December. The Treasury Secretary presumably can use his extraordinary authorities um, once again. And that takes you to some indeterminate period in 2018. But barring some massive infusion of revenue or some massive uptick in economic growth, neither of which you could plan your lives around necessarily today, you're likely to have to deal with this again in 2018, likely before the midterm elections. And so I wouldn't be surprised in the next uh, day or two to see some uh, attempts to revisit this three-month question. Rohit Kumar, thank you so much for joining us. We have to get you back. Rohit Kumar is principal and leader of Washington National Tax Service for PwC, also a former deputy chief of staff for Mitch McConnell.